the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Thanks for listening to the Town Hall Review with Hugh Hewitt podcast, bringing to you the best voices on the stories and issues that matter. Helping make it all possible is the generous partnership with the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. Here's another piece I'll trust you enjoy. We, quote, have to overthrow them, control, alt, delete with regards to higher education. That is the new president of the Heritage Foundation. His first week in office, he came on the show, former president of the Catholic College in Wyoming. That's his opinion. Is that how we save Western civilization, start with higher education? I know our very special guest for America First World have views on that issue. I'm Sebastian Gorka, and he is Professor Victor Davis Hansen, Senior Fellow at the Hoover Institution. Welcome to America First. Thank you. Uh, Professor, we, we've been going back and forth, uh, emailing each other over the last few days. Uh, my my uh, son has graduated from Stanford. We went through the uh, proceedings, the commencement. I played clips of the prayer from the Dean of Religion that opened the ceremony. I played the blessings from the in-house rabbi as well. Uh, my commentary was, it's strange to have a blessing and a prayer that doesn't mention God and talks about Judaism as a tradition, not a religion. What I didn't share with my listeners, and I've saved for our conversation, given your your storied background uh, as uh, the preeminent classicist in America today, my son majored in classics. I listened to the head of the department give his graduation speech, and the second sentence was a mea culpa for slavery and the lack of female voting rights in Western civilization. Uh, I put that as the scene setting, the stage setting. Is there a history of a civilization, a culture, faring well or even surviving, Professor, when its elite hates its own history? Well, when that starts to happen, then you have to have some kind of uh, re-enlightenment or renaissance. So. If you look at the Neronian period and the literature of that period, oh, Petronius, Petronius, you get this sense that affluence and leisure had created a lot of self-hatred, but then you had the five good emperors come in. You had 100 years of correction. And France was intellectually bankrupt between the wars, and its army reflected that, collapsing in six weeks. But then it had sort of a, a recuperation after World War II. In fact, it, its troops did very well under American auspices in the so we have to have that enlightenment and that rebooting. And if we don't, no, you can't survive. And I graduated from that department in 1980, and I can tell you that half of my faculty were from Austria, Germany, France, and Britain. And it was the most intellectually rigorous, philologically rigorous, um, apolitical department in the country. And, and uh, you could even argue that it was very, very narrowly philological. But the point is, I got a wonderful training. And I noticed somewhere around after 1995, I was not able to, the pool of applicants for jobs at class, as classicists 
was not reassuring linguistically or philologically. In other words, the stuff of teaching Latin and Greek and literature in Greek and Latin, which is important as well as the translation, they were not being trained as they should in graduate programs because of that, at that time called theory. And that was Foucauldian, postmodernism, post-structuralism, but it was the precursor of the woke movement. And now, as you know, some classics departments have dropped the Greek requirements, such yeah. as the Princeton undergraduate degree. Now that requirement of, of a renaissance, of, of a, a rebirth of a culture, historically, who have been the catalysts for that? Could it be a, a groundswell? We see this pushback against CRT amongst parents across America, or does it have to be a counter-elite? Because I don't see much of a, a counter-elite being built, but historically, when civilizations lose their way and get mired in self-hatred, where does the, the counter usually come from, Professor? Uh, it's kind of an alliance. The, there's a populist backlash from the middle class that kind of figures out they're targeted. And I think they really are targeted by this administration. And they feel that if they don't speak out and become active, very active, they're going to be extinguished because the middle class is always the target of the left-wing elite. And so then they find among their ranks people to represent them. And sometimes there is a counter-elite. But you can't really count on the intelligentsia or intellectuals or professors or law lawyers to come in and be your leaders. You, you need somebody like Lech Walesa or somebody, a man of the people, woman of the people, at least politically. The, the Republican establishment political class had shown that it was not up to the task of challenging the woke movement in its early forms in the, you know, at the turn of the millennium. Everything that we're experiencing now, Barack Obama introduced to us. And then the people came and said, you know, in 2010, we're not going to take it anymore. But there was no leadership at that time. You know, Mitt Romney was not going to embody or, uh, or represent that popular backlash. In fact, he was going to modify it or repress it or try to make it presentable in the way that John McCain had done the same in 2008. So... We need somebody that Donald Trump, of course, encouraged it. He didn't create it, but he he saw where it was and he and he he sort of embodied it. And so I think is Governor DeSantis and some of the Republican field. I don't see a Romney-like or a McCain-like establishmentarian that will be a serious candidate in 2024, much less among Senate and uh, House candidates this year. He, he's not a, a manual laborer or a trade unionist like Lech Wałęsa, but you're saying there is a, a common tissue that binds Lech Wałęsa to what President Trump represents? I think so. You're seeing that across the board. You see these elections where Mexican-American candidates yeah. uh, that are conservative, and they're not talking about transgenderism or late-term abortion or how wonderful the logistical retreat from Afghanistan was. They're talking about... We can't survive in a country when there's no baby formula or when there's no tampons or when you pay $7 a gas for diesel or when the government, uh, you know, doesn't care about inflation and lies to you that, that it's you know, greedy corporations as if they suddenly appeared out of nowhere around <laughs> 2022. So they, they, they understand that this administration does not like them and all these problems that are making their individual lives horrific were self-created. 
they didn't have to happen, but they happened for a reason, and that was an ideological assault on the middle class. And they, they lacked the romance of the poor, and they lacked the taste, apparently, of the wealthy. But there seems to be, it truly is as if history is in a, in a hysteresis, a, a chronic retelling of itself. Because when you hear Democrats, senators, secretaries of energy say, what a delight to drive past the gas stations in my brand new electric vehicle. I can just laugh at the prices and everybody should be driving them. Then it really seems to be as if Marie Antoinette isn't a ghost, but she's a zombie and she's alive and well in the Democrat Party. Yeah, the Democratic Party. I mean, let them eat Teslas, right? <laughs> they are uh, they're the party of the very wealthy. The, well, we know that from zip codes uh, and congressional districts that are the wealthiest or the bluest. We know that from the Fortune 400. We know that from a lot of um, barometers that the Democratic Party is controlled by the hyper-wealthy. And in California, just to give you one example... The people most responsible for this mess are Dianne Feinstein, a Barbara Boxer, the former senator, yeah. a Jerry Brown, a Nancy Pelosi. If you look at uh, Gavin Newsom, these people lived in Rancho Mirage. They lived in Napa. They lived in Presidio Heights. They lived in Kentfield. And they don't have they don't have and they don't care about people who have children in the L.A. school districts or they have to wade over the homeless in Stockton, California, or they're dealing with crime in Modesto or they don't have any water and they're trying to farm. These problems were all um, created by them on the premise that their wealth and influence, whether acquired by marriage or inheritance, or in some cases like Barbara Boxer and Dianne Feinstein, through connections with Chinese firms, that insulated them from the ramifications of their own ideology. And that's part of the problem with the Democratic Party. They're so elite. And they don't have any contact with working and, and middle class people anymore. And the familial connections I uh, enjoy in, in uh, reminding my listeners that, of course, the current governor of California is none other than Nancy Pelosi's nephew. Uh, Professor, you, you wrote a seminal work, uh, The Case for Trump. Uh, I am uh, pretty assured of the fact that my former boss will be running if we win the House and the Senate. However, we have to um, witness and we have to diagnose what is happening today with the January 6th witch hunt inquisition star chamber or what you call it what what do you see as the strategic objective of this illegitimate committee that doesn't have gop nominees in it is it to continue the criminalization of those who came to the march uh, that uh, support president trump or is it really about making it impossible for him to run again with criminal referrals being the end product yeah, I think there's three reasons. One of of them is that they have no counter argument for the catastrophes they induced, and they know they're going to pay a terrible price in November. And so this is sort of like Putin's price hike or Roe versus Wade or assault weapon. It's something that's a distraction, or they can they they can't deal with inflation or, or fuel prices, etc. The border. And second, they don't like Donald Trump to the degree that they're obsessed with him. So you take away Donald Trump. If Donald Trump announced tomorrow that he's not going to run, they would probably fold up and congratulate themselves. Yeah. And so that that's it. And the third, they want to send a message to this middle class populist movement. And they say that we are going to enforce the law asymmetrically against you. So if, I have no problem with the January 6th commission if it was if its mission was to investigate 
rioting and harm at federal sites. So in a perfect world, not even a perfect world, Sebastian, just what we would expect from a select congressional committee, there would be the minority party would have their representatives yeah. and Nancy Pelosi would pick hers and Kevin McCarthy, they would talk. And we've never done this where we said, basically, if you were Nancy Pelosi, you can only serve on this committee if A, you voted to impeach Donald Trump and B, you're not viable in next November election, you're gonna be out. Then you can come. And they found two people willing to fit that criteria. Yeah. And then they said to themselves, if you on May 31st, 2020, were one of the many thousands of people that tried to break through to the White House grounds and you sent the President of the United States down into a bunker because you were trying to reach him and you torched the historic St. John's Church, that is not an insurrectionary activity as was January 6th or trying to burn down a federal courthouse. Um, so. There's no symmetry. There's no. We're saying one day, I, I, I don't have any problem with arresting people who broke the law, who unlawfully entered the Capitol. But I, you have to say this in a wider context, that this committee is very concerned about domestic protests that go attack federal property. We're going to look at January 6th. We're going to look at the federal courthouses in Minneapolis. We're going to look at Seattle and Portland. We're going to look at the billion dollars of damages, the 35 dead and the 14,000 arrested all through May, and the attacks on federal property at the White House. And they're not doing that. Yeah. It, there's it, no give and take. There's no argumentation. It, there's no dissension on this committee. I've never seen a select committee like this. Well, and there's no, there's no opportunity for the accused to provide their counter, no. to provide their evidence. And the fascinating thing is even the witnesses for the quote-unquote prosecution aren't sworn. They're not giving sworn testimony, which is very, very strange. Does the committee represent, Professor, the apotheosis or, or maybe the better word is the, the nadir of the politicization of law enforcement and, and the, the permanent state? If we go, is there a straight line Line from yeah, Lois Lerner to Mike Flynn to the January 6th? Yeah, James Clapper lying under oath, John Brennan lying under oath, Andrew McCabe lying under oath, James Comey feigning uh, amnesia 245 times, Robert Mueller feigning amnesia and doesn't know what the Steele dossier was. All of that. The light sentence that Kevin Kleinsmith got? Absolutely. And so everybody's upset about all of these material issues, no doubt, inflation and energy and the border. But one of the things you talk to people, they're scared because they feel that the law is asymmetrically applied, that the FBI will humiliate uh, or Mr. Stone, Roger Stone, or they're going to go after uh, James O'Keefe, or they're going to embarrass Peter Navarro. But they're not going to do anything at all to uh, you know, James Clapper or Andrew McCabe, who lied, lied under oath to a federal investigator or to a federal com uh, congressional committee. And they're worried about that. And they, and they say to themselves, when a police officer in America shoots anybody unarmed, anybody, their picture appears, he's, they're put on immediate leave and there's a, a public and a private investigation and answers. But when he shoots an unarmed woman for the misdemeanor violation of going through a window in the Capitol and his his identity is hid. Yeah. Or when a marquee New York Times reporter like Michael Rosenberg, who was on the case of the January 6th and was there, and he says in an interview that there were tons, tons, he says, of FBI informants, and the whole thing was sort of a joke. 
and all of his colleagues were into a psychodrama. Well, then they, he should be called and asked to explain that. Yeah. And um, nobody's ever done that. They, they're not interested in these questions, so they have no legitimacy. Could, like going to Brian Sicknick, the officer, that so much misinformation was issued by the government about the tragic circumstances of his death. And, and could, could this backfire? Were they I think it already is. You think it, it already, already is? is? It's already sinking in its ratings, and people are saying, you know, just enough of this. We don't want to hear any more about Putin's price hike or the January 6th stuff. We don't want to hear about assault weapons. We do not want to. We just want you to get the price of gas to where it was when you took over. And we want to get in. We want to get inflation down to when you took over. And we want the border to be like it when you took over. And we want our foreign policy stature abroad like it was when you took over. That's the simple message. And they're saying to the American people, uh, we're not going to do that. We're going to make fun of you and say that everything is great and insult your intelligence. Are we going to blame it on Donald Trump? Are we going to get these other issues to distract you? But we are not going to green light, you know, Keystone or reopen Anwar or, or get bankers to, to finance more fracking. Now, we may beg the Saudis, the Venezuelans or the Iranians and Russians for fuel, but we're not going to do that. And they know that now. So I, I think in finishing, Seb, I think there's no theoretical limit to the bottom of this party's descent. Yeah. I think all wise, they could go down in the high 20s. They could lose 60 seats, and it's not 60 seats like 2010 or 94. We're, they're starting almost dead even. So 60 seats really? is a huge loss. Uh, Professor, uh, what? Uh, let me ask you a very quick question about the party, uh, uh, as you, you just mentioned it. Uh, you don't have to like Bill Clinton, but he was a pragmatist. Do you see any signs of any pragmatists who live in the real world and no. understand that ultra-maga is not an insult and deplorable isn't an insult and who can reign in the extremists? No, no this party is being run by Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren, the squad, and the radicals in Congress in conjunction with the Obamas as senior advisors who feel that this was an opportunity to go really hard left in a way that they kind of blew redemption for them. And then there's a Jill Biden, Edith Wilson role that she's playing as a guardian that filters all of this to Joe Biden. And he is non-compos mentes. He shouldn't. He, I, I think he knows he shouldn't be president. I hate to say that about a president of the United States, but he's not physically or mentally up to the job. So what I'm worried about is we don't talk about we Amer in America that our foreign enemies and even neutrals are looking at this and they're thinking this has never really happened before. Or an administration imploded in 16 months, and it's not got anybody at the helm that knows where he is. And whether it's Iran vis-a-vis -vis, uh, Lebanon, Syria, Israel, or sending missiles over Japan or South Korea, if you're North Korea, or Taiwan vis China, or maybe Putin, I think everybody thinks this might be a rare occasion to really do some things that this, this administration is just not capable of reacting to. And that's what I'm worried about. It's not just the Democrats uh, that have become radicalized. It's also a, a conservative establishment that really looks at the Trump years as an anomaly, a blip, and they want to get back to business uh, as usual. Where does President Trump fit into the history of American presidents? Is he a, a new version of Teddy Roosevelt? Is he an anomaly that will disappear? Or has his impact uh, on conservatism uh, been so great that it will be a future factor? Well, I think 
two or three things. I think he blew up the idea that you had to go through this cursus a norm where you were a House member, a senator, a yeah. member. He was, he was an outsider. And I, I mean that literally. I mean, he was a Ross Perot that made it. And then second, he transformed this sort of blue stocking East Coast Republican Party that was always worried about, you know, privatizing Social Security or capital gains reduction. Not that they wouldn't have been necessarily awful ideas, but he turned it into a populist workers party. He started using the first person possessive, our, our farmers, yeah. our soldiers, our lathe workers. So he, he redirected uh, emphasis back to the middle class. And then he sort of was Reagan-esque when he said, you know, we're in great shape. All we got to do is close the border and we don't have a problem with the illegal. We, we can produce more natural gas and do it more safely and more environmentally soundly than anybody. Same with oil. We, we can make clean coal. Everything was uh, possible. And so that was his legacy. The, the question will be is, uh, because he incites such hatred from the left, is that his support, not, not his base, but the necessary support in the Republican Party that agrees with the agenda, are they up for another tumultuous four years? Or are they going to say, is there anybody in the party that would, would run true to, the, to Trump principles and enact them? and then fight like he did, that fire in the belly, but not uh, distract either willingly or because he, he seems to incite such hatred from the left. And I don't know the answer to that. And have we done this, you know, irrespective of his role, have the conservative thinkers, the commentariat, done enough of the intellectual heavy lifting in the last five years to, to redefine a, a post-Reagan, post-neoliberal conservatism in an age of Trump or people like Trump? I, I think they have, and I say that because nobody who was running uh, or running for an office with his eye or her eye on the presidency is saying that we need a chamber of commerce approach to the border mm. or we've got to compromise on climate change or we've got to put these federal leases off off and so we've got to really tell israel that they're provocative they're too provocative vis-a-vis -vis iran or i mean these are some of the republican positions or that you know what the white working class really in the midwest they're youngstown ohio it was a self-induced problem and they just got to get over it and go frack or they've got to go learn coding that kind of dismissal i don't think anybody can run on that anymore does that so there were people that have, have argued i think the never trumpers have been totally humiliated because they told us that Joe Biden was a conservative Democrat and that's who they were now. And there was no such thing. And so they they did all they could to destroy somebody who had represented many of the issues they fought their entire lives for. And then they they helped usher in this disaster. And so they have zero credibility now. And they have no, I mean, they were orphaned before, but now they're orphaned without food or clothing. They're just naked. Uh, they have nowhere to go but become hard leftists, and some of them are doing that. <laughs> some of them are. Hopefully the uh, Never Trump movement will be uh, increasingly irrelevant, and the rhino establishment will become increasingly an extinct species. So I, I always like to take the opportunity to mention as many of our guests' books when he comes on the show. So uh, I'm just going to mention for now The Case for Trump, the Second World Wars, The Dying Citizen, which is the most recent, but uh, going back in time, some of my other favorites, A War Like No Other, 
the Western way of war, ripples of battle, the father of us all. And then one of my favorites, a quick read, is Who Killed um, Homer? Uh, These books are all on my library shelf. I recommend them all to you. Let's focus on the last one, Professor, the, the dying citizen. We have seen two million illegal aliens let into this nation in a year and a half as policies of the Biden administration. We're seeing a, a shift in demography in states like California, where you live, in Texas and elsewhere. Uh, does the theory... The, the putative strategy that we are buying a future constituency because Democrats believe if you're Hispanic and you are legalized and amnestied, you will vote Democrat. Does that hold true given your experience in California? Can they count on uh, the Latino population thinking that transgenderism and $9 gas is a good thing? No, I think what we've seen is that they lose the second generation. Mm and especially young people as they age. And so it's, that's very important to understand that their commitment to open borders. They want the poorest of the poor from Chiapas or the Yucatan or Oaxaca to come up here illegally, illegally, yeah. and to be in need of vast federal and state support in housing, legality, education, housing, food, et cetera. And then they become wards of the states and they vote and they do. But they don't want those people to be successful or upwardly mobile, but it's hard not to be in, in America. So we've created now a middle class. And these these illegal uh, immigration f- influxes target them. Yeah. Their schools don't have advanced placement when they have to have bilingual education. Their dialysis centers get overread. Their crime spikes, and they don't like it. And then when you add these other boutique issues, if you can call them even issues of transgenderism or going into a Catholic diocese and trying to scream down people after the Roe v. Wade uh, leak, things like that, it enrages them. And when you add the stuff of life, and this is the stuff of life when you think of food, building materials, fuel, uh, security, and when you can't provide that, people say, well, we came here to get away from that that failure in Mexico, and now we're here, and it's the same bankrupt left-wing people doing this. And so I think we it's going to be a revolution, and I think we're seeing some of it in Texas, but in here in California, almost every state and local race, is there are two Mexican-American candidates, and there's a conservative, and then there's a left-wing person. And I think locally, at least here in my area, the conservative is going to win. And that, that would be unheard of. If I had said that three or four years ago, you would think I would be crazy. But just talking to people, you can feel it. I drove around my hometown today to get some fuel and, and go to a doctor's appointment. And just talking to people, they're angry. They've had it. They're confused. They can't believe the Democratic Party would do this to them. They, they don't understand why they would insult their intelligence like this, why they're so patronizing. You mentioned Roe v. Wade and the disturbances of the pro-abortion demonstrators, even in um, cathedrals in in California. How significant in in terms of the American uh, history and the body politic is the leak from the Supreme Court of that uh, decisional document? Well, it's a battle, but it's part of an unprecedented war. We, I mean, FDR ran a war in 1937 and 8 to try to pack the court. But never in our right minds did we think a party would promote or condone or even the president would ignore the fact that they're targeting the homes 
of Supreme Court justices, and they're going out there to intimidate them, which is a felony, federal yeah. felony to do that. Or you have a Chuck Schumer who just a few years ago went out in front of the, the chambers and screamed and said that you've sowed the wind and you're going to reap the whirlwind. You don't know what's going to hit you. Or when they talk about packing the court, or when they mention people by name in a very scary fashion, or you have somebody who's caught red-handed after he's, I guess his sister talked him into calling, who was going to kill a Supreme Court justice, and it didn't even make the story. So there is an, an unprecedented attack on the Supreme Court, because they feel that the Congress cannot deliver a, an agenda in a predictable fashion, because the American people are not left-wing. But since the Warren era, every time they've had a court, they can bend, flip, manipulate, force uh, conservative picks to go left, whether that's a John Paul Stevens or a Souter. There's dozens of them. But this court, for now, at this brief moment in time and space, is conservative, and they can't accept that. And so they're going to try to destroy it, whether it's packing it or intimidating it or worse. And so it's, it's just unfathomable that Joe Biden wouldn't get out there and say, this is obstruction of justice when you try to intimidate a, a, the highest justices in the United States to, to vote a particular way. Are you going to show up out of their house like thugs out of a third world country? How much is all of what we are witnessing, this radicalism from trying to pack the Supreme Court to the transgender agenda, a, a direct evolution of, of Foucault's thinking, the Frankfurt School, deconstructionism, moral relativism? This can be plotted on, on a timeline, can it not? It can. And what's even more ironic about it, that the Reagan economic idea of tax cuts and deregulation which was more or less continued in part, even by uh, all the way into the Clinton era. But my, my point is that we, we created an enormous amount of money and leisure and wealth. Yeah. And these foreign, uh, I don't want to be xenophobic, but these ideas imported from the left of Europe, they really had fertile ground to take because people said, you know what, we can talk these insane things. We can advocate insanity about race or climate change because things are so good. So Joe Biden, he would have never said, I'm going to end all fossil fuel, had gas been 7 or $8 a gallon. He only did that because of the Trump success. And the same thing about the border and critical legal theory and critical race. They could only say that because they were critiquing a very viable, successful thing that was created by people antithetical to themselves. But now, once they've taken over and they've destroyed that paradigm, uh, people are saying, you know what? There's no more margin of error. There's no fat left on the animal anymore. If you continue to do this, you're right into the, the vital organs of this country, and it's a lot more fragile than we thought it was. This very fragile multiracial democracy that is, has a very, very high expectation for the standard of living and upward mobility, but it's on the razor's edge. Okay, let's, uh, let's play that cut from uh, President Reagan. Our founding fathers here in this country brought about the only true revolution that has ever taken place in man's history. Every other revolution simply exchanged one set of rulers for another set of rulers. But only here did that little band of men so advanced beyond their time that the world has never seen their like since evolve the idea that you and I have within ourselves the God-given right and the ability to determine our own destiny. 
But freedom is never more than one generation away from extinction. We didn't pass it on to our children in the bloodstream. The only way they can inherit the freedom we have known is if we fight for it, protect it, defend it, and then hand it to them with the well-taught lessons of how they in their lifetime must do the same. And if you and I don't do this, then you and I may well spend our sunset years telling our children and our children's children what it once was like in America when men were free. Thank you. The powerful and prophetic words of the 40th President of the United States, Ronald Wilson Reagan. Uh, Professor Hansen, uh, you have stood up to the um, slings and arrows of um, criticism for your truth-telling, for your steadfastness when it comes to American values. Having been at the classics department graduation just a few days ago, what is your message to young Americans who wish to celebrate, to nurture, and to study the values of Western civilization, but are already buffeted by the extremists we are witnessing wreak havoc on America every single day? I would say to keep at it that you're in the majority. Now, you're not in the majority in the university, but if you can get through the university, if you're going to be a professor or just get a BA or whatever and get out and you can actually take courses that are still there. They're buried beneath rhetoric and ideology and theory, but they're there. And it takes a lot of work to find these courses and good professors, but you can find them. And once you burst out uh, of the university miasma, you will you will find that the majority of people not only agree with you, but they want you to speak out. And that these institutions that mold our thought, Wall Street, um, Silicon Valley, professional sports, academia, K through 12, Hollywood. They're not in the majority. They just influence us as if they are. But you are in the majority and you will find a supporting audience. So I'm not just saying everybody be, you know, audacity, audacity and more audacity when you're 21 up for your your Ph.D. exams or law school exam. But you have to be discreet to get your what you have to do out of this corrupt system because uh, it is corrupt. But once you're out of it, then you're going to be in a position that you'll find so many people who agree with you. And the future of higher education outside of institutions like Hillsdale and Grove City, Professor? I think it's already devolved into a stamping process, a cattle brand, that you just go there. You don't expect to learn much. Uh, it was very meritocratic based on your high school test scores, and that was some, that was the value for employers. But even that is is not meritocratic anymore. So, it's a uh, it's kind of like it used to be uh, in the nineteen you know nineteenth century. Wealthy people went to Princeton and they got their stamp, and then they were considered. But nobody thought they were educated. That era where we have great esteem outside of the sciences uh, for the university liberal arts is over with. So everybody gets a BA in any field of liberal arts uh, in Princeton, Yale, Harvard, Stanford. I think the presumption is that they're not educated and they'll have to show that they did enormously important independent work to find unorthodox professors. But otherwise we should assume I hate to say it, Sebastian, we, could, we should assume they're guilty of being not trained well for the, the money they put in uh, for that degree. It, 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 it's just not going to be a reflection that they were educated. I think people know that. It's not a very good bargain anymore. 
and borrow that money and, and to get a, a cattle brand. It sounds like you uh, concur with um, the new president of Heritage who said, uh, all controlled elite, we've got to start from scratch when it comes to higher education. Uh, I think we could... We can do a lot of things right away. We can replace tenure by five-year contracts that are merit-based. We can start taxing these multi-billion-dollar mm-hmm. endowments very quickly. We can start to say that at the state level, if you have an academic MA in history or English or language, you can go teach in the public school. You don't need a credential. That's just a waste of time. We'll give you the alternative. And everybody would leave. The School of Education is the embryo of a lot of our problems because it trains our teachers. And so there's things that we can do immediately. If they win the House and Senate and they win 2024 and they are motivated and they're willing to take the heat, they can make uh, some very radical changes in higher education just through federal policy alone. Thanks. Well, until then, uh, this radio host on behalf of myself, my family, and I think millions and millions uh, of our listeners out there would like to thank you for your steadfast commitment to the truth and the values upon which our civilization is based. Read anything by this man. Go to victorhanson.com, listen to his podcast, buy his books. Thanks for listening to the Town Hall Review. Our program is coming today in partnership with the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. It's America's most unique graduate leadership program offered on Pepperdine's breathtaking campus in Malibu, California. Learn more at publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu. If you're enjoying the podcast, please tell a friend to go to Town Hall Review and sign up as well today. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.